Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about only two books released on October 23rd this week. We're not even doing our list for this week. We got so much other stuff to talk about, but first we're going to talk about just two sort of new releases and go from there. The first one is, um, well, I guess we should do Batman Beyond first, right? Sure. So it's Batman Beyond number, what is this, Vince? 37. 37, okay. Uh, written by Jan Durgens, and <laughs> that joke will never get old to me, by the way. I will be no. saying Jan Durgens for the rest of my life, and that is absolutely fine. Um, and illustrated by uh, Sean Chen. So this issue, uh, Vincey, you, you suggested we read it because it introduces uh, Batwoman. Because it was so good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you figured it would be good to give us a break from our usual books. That was something different. Plus, it's the first appearance of Batwoman Beyond. Uh, so why don't you start us off here, Vince? Uh, actually, of a Batwoman Beyond, because because we have had a Batwoman Beyond before. Oh, okay. Well, thank you, Beyond expert, Zach Wilkerson. Uh, me. <laughs> uh, Vince, start us off. Okay, so uh, th- this is not a good issue of a comic book, I don't think. And it's, it's also not, this has just not been a good run uh, <laughs> with the character at all. Vince uh, coming in hot. I'm not, I'm, no, 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 no. But, but, but I thought, you know, it, it would be fun to talk about because there's some funny stuff in it. Um, but I, but I also, I also think that there are one or two, at least redeeming qualities or things about it that I kind of liked. So I, I kind of want to get those out of the way right away. Go for it. Uh, be, before we rip on it. I do like, I do like the structure of the issue and, and what that, what I mean by that. And I think, I think it's a veteran move on Dan Jurgen's part. Um, I, I like an issue that introduces a new character or a new version of the character where it has them already in action when the issue starts. So the way that it plays out is that this Batwoman is is swooping around kind of sight unseen, um, dealing with like street gangs and stuff and like uh, stopping crimes and stuff before we before we ever get a glimpse of her. And we really don't get a glimpse of her until like maybe 90% of the way through the issue. And... Uh, I, I like when comics do that. I think that style of storytelling is much better than uh, you're introducing a new character. You, you go through the laborious origin story of how they came to, to, to be in this situation. And then you get them in the costume and then you get them. Like, I, I really like it when comics, um, when they have status quo changes like this and you're kind of dropped right into it. Um, I think Sean Chen's art was pretty good too uh, at helping that along, and I think I think what I mean by that is like again, you don't you don't really fully see Batwoman until the end of the issue, and so he does a lot of things with perspective and point of view to to effectively uh, depict this without giving away 
the the character's appearance or anything other than they're on the cover already, you know. But but what I'm saying is like I think there was some artistic technique there that really enhanced, you know, the story in a way that that I appreciated, even if there was a lot about this comic and about this issue and about this run in general that I don't really like. So those are the positive things. Can I, I piggyback off that for one second? Yeah, sure. Yep. So um, I had a similar reaction when I was reading this and I was like, where have I, what is, what am I thinking of that did something very similar to this? And I realized what it was. This is exactly how every single issue of the return of the Superman started. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It is exactly how every fake Superman was brought in. You think it's Superman? Oh, he's back! He's back! And then it reveals, nope, it's the Eradicator, it's Cyborg, etc. It's the exact same fucking trick that Jurgens did thirty years ago. Well, it works, baby. <laughs> it, it does. It does. It's not. It's not bad, actually, but it, like, but he's ripping himself off big time. Yeah. Um. Well, he does that. I mean, a lot of writers from that era do that regularly uh Reed, scott labdell ravagers uh <laughs> etc uh the calling um <clears throat> i kind of like this issue maybe not like a lot but a lot more than i expected to um i thought the art was good ish i mean it's good art yeah yeah, it's good art, and and I thought that the reveal was fun. I thought the way that it was played was really fun with this, um, you know, reporter kind of. Oh, it's Jack Ryder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of, you know, on the prowl, trying to trying to find Batman and uh, for News Fifty Two, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh Jurgens, he's just he can't ever. <laughs> <laughs> let it go um he will um, be shilling for dc shit on his deathbed <laughs> yeah yeah um i i loved the bit where um bruce and terry's brother matt is that his name yeah yep yeah yeah um they both think they know who batwoman is <laughs> yes. and they say it at the same time and and neither they, they don't agree i thought that was like a fun little moment uh-huh. um that's that's what they do to one another after they say the name yeah they thought they were going to say the same name and then they went huh is that like a tim allen home no run yes no it's just it's just an exaggerated it it, it is a tim allen home improvement group (laughs) okay fine (laughs) anyway keep Uh, going I mean, I don't have much more to say about it other than I liked it more than I thought I would, and um, <laughs> I'm I'm glad I read it. Yeah, I I don't have too much more to add either. I I do think, like you said, Vince, that the reveal, you know, more or less works here. Um, it, it's I can't even get mad at it. I was gonna say initially that this does the thing that we've been getting mad at DC books for doing a lot recently which is the introducing something on the cover that isn't referenced to the last page of the book. Uh-huh. Um, but I think for this particular example, you can't really get mad at that because of what because of what we said, because of how well the sort of buildup works within the issue. You can forgive, and you're seeing Batwoman at various times. You're just not seeing 
it'd be her, her face, full, you know, her, yeah. yeah, but, but it's fine. You know, I, I thought that was, that was an absolutely fine, uh, device used here. Well, I think, I think, you know, as long as you brought that up, I, I almost think there's an exception to that rule when it comes to introducing new characters or a new version of a, of a character or something, sure. because like, uh, since time immemorial, we've, uh, had, situations like this and the that character's always on the cover you know like mm-hmm. it, it reminded me of black suit spider-man right the the first issue with black suit spider-man features that on the cover so it's it's a similar thing you know i think in that case it's fine it's more like when a major plot point that you don't even see till the end of the issue that it's where it's almost like the the twist of the issue or something is right there on the covers when it really bothers us i think mm-hmm. yeah yeah um plus we would miss out on a great uh lee weeks kind of pinup cover yes i think that i think that was lee weeks right looks like lee weeks if it's not um, whoever did it is doing a good lee weeks impression yeah uh okay but how about some of the funny stuff in the issue okay can we get to that yes we can well zach there was a, there was a certain phrase or, or that you wanted us to remind you of uh, that phrase is Slamjackers. <laughs> Which is totally the name of a strip club somewhere in this country already. <laughs> and also the new name that we're calling ourselves instead yes. of DC3. We are the Slamjackers. Yeah. The Slamjackers. I think we, we should yeah. specifically be like Slamjacker Vince, <laughs> Slamjacker yeah. Zach, and Slamjacker uh, Brian. Brian. Yeah. And we say it in full every time we reference one another. Yes, so. exactly. I was talking to Slamjacker Vince last night. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of calling people sounds, weird names. Sounds, well, I was gonna. I was just gonna say, slamjacking sounds like something that the Beatles would have done together. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, yes. Well played, sir. Um, slamjacking on my Blanca. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John and I got together and did a little bit of slamjacking. You know, um, we would do it in Liverpool, and uh, back then it wasn't called slamjacking; it was called flip flopping. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back on our bullshit, so... <laughs> back on our bullshit, back on our bullshit, back on our shit. Sorry, go ahead. At the beginning of this issue, Batwoman uh, beats up a couple of street toughs, and one of them is named Sludgy. Which, which to me, doesn't that sound like a name of a guy that Joe Biden knew like 40 years ago that he puts into a story? And like, no, no. You know, I'm, I'm going to slightly amend your, your, your joke there, Vince. Sludgy okay. is the name that George W. Bush called the head of the EPA. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, well, I think totally... it could also be like one of the names of like the friends that Brett Kavanaugh hung out with. <laughs> There, yeah, there you go. Man, yeah. We are just we are just delivering yuck after yuck tonight, but all of them have a have a have a slim uh, Republican edge to them. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's there's also a really choice line in this issue that I I laughed out loud when I read it. Lay it on us. When False Face died wearing Terry's face, it left the real Terry with no knowledge of who he is. <laughs> Now that is like something Grant. That is Grant Morrison asked. So hats off to to Dan Jurgens. Um, it's, it's good. It's good. Yeah. 
Uh, I like that the the last of the Joker's name is Bafo. There's yes. a lot of great names in this. Mm. Bafo yeah. is is a Bafo name. That is. A... <laughs> yep. And uh, and Terry meets somebody named Constance Gustinoff, which, you know, I what year does Batman Beyond take place in? Because we're we're still naming people Constance. Yeah. That well, you know, the... names names are cyclical. You know, it's <laughs> come back in style. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, I wonder if it's now DC position that all new characters have the name with Tempest Fuganaut, and that's why. <laughs> Tempest, the most important character in the DCU. Undoubtedly the most important character in the DCU. Um, so I, I, was th- I was doing some, I was deep in thought about Batman Beyond today after reading this issue. And what was that? I said, "Wow." Okay. Uh, yeah, he, I, I don't believe that actually. No, I, I seriously was. I was thinking a lot about Batman Beyond. I was thinking about it how it's a really interesting property that DC has, and I'm sort of shocked that they are still letting Jurgens write it because I feel like it's a character that allows them to do all the things that they could never really do with Batman ultimately you know change batman a bit you know it it, it would allow a just um let the character to, to be able to do and say things that you can't let bruce wayne do or say right now and i wonder if dc's reluctance to do anything with the character is more about them not believing sort of in what the in the the that's what i'm looking for like how much the fans will care about this or if it's just their sheer devotion to Jurgens, and this is what Jurgens wants to do, and so we'll let Jurgens do it for now. Yeah, I honestly have no idea. I yeah. doesn't this seem like a, like too big of a property to just let sit? Yeah. It, it, well, yes and no because it does to me personally. But I also think that like DC has been con- content to just let it sit forever. Um, so I think it's—I don't think it's that important to DC. I think it may become important if Bendis thinks it's important. Vince, what about you? I think it's a—I think they want to keep Dan Jurgens around, and I think it's a really low-stakes book to put a guy like him on. Because, in general, his what what he's used for as a writer is not really big, important status quo stuff. Now, I know his his Superman run, um, or was it? Ac- it was Action Comics coming out of Rebirth, right? Uh, all I know is there's no way that Brian Bendis read that. <laughs> okay, um, but. Gosh. But uh, I, I'm right, right? It's action yes, comics. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I think that... I think he did write Superman for a while too, though, didn't he? Maybe for just a minute. No, that was Giffen. That was Keith Giffen. My bad. In uh, New Fifty Two. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But um, but I'm I'm talking about Rebirth because the the, the Mister Oz stuff was uh-huh. kind of eventy, although.
that did he write the, did he write the crossover that ultimately merged the versions of Superman together? Mm, no, that was well, Mossy, or was it both of them? It might have been both of them. Okay. The the Superman Reborn thing. Yeah, I think they might have co-wrote that. Okay, um, maybe. But my overall point is that like since in the modern configuration of DC Comics, so I'm thinking like post. New 52, generally, Jurgen's vision isn't driving things, right? Well, I mean, he did do Future's End. But that was before, but, you know, that was a very universe-driving event. <sighs> All right. I get, well, I... No, I... I, 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 mean, I, I know I'm what being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he did, I mean, he did kind of, like, kick off we've talked about this before he kicked off the superman status quo in that convergence crossover and then he wrote that superman and lois book that was sort of like the prelude to rebirth yeah that's true i guess what i guess when i think of like the modern jurgens though i don't think of a guy who's writing a book that's going to have very many stakes and maybe superman was the exception you know Mm -hmm. but thinking about thinking about almost anything else he wrote or has written recently. It's it's usually like cleanup stuff or um, placeholder type stuff. And so I just think that that's like they're content to do that with Batman Beyond because it's going to sell what it's going to sell. And and I don't know. I don't think it. I don't. I don't know how beloved Batman Beyond is. I think it is for. You know, you and me, Zach, and I don't know about you, Brian, but I mean, I, I, I did not grow up watching Batman Beyond. No, I think it's a very specific era, right? But, I'll, but yeah. I'll say this, but like you know, so I get all sorts of emails from DC when they're putting out new editions of things, you know, and oftentimes the emails are relatively blasé. You know, oh look, there's a new edition of this coming out. I have gotten at least 10 emails talking about the Batman Beyond Blu-ray set that's coming out this Christmas. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I get the impression yeah. that they are very much pushing this as a a huge thing that they want everybody to remember. And, you know, they, they sent out, they rarely, rarely do this. They sent out an email basically saying, like, if you're going to do a year-end Christmas list, let us know and we'll send you a promotional copy of this so you can get it out to your readers. Like, they are very, very much pushing this. And I feel like they only do that for stuff that they are 100% behind. And so I think it's interesting that Warner Brothers or, like, Warner Home Media or whatever is is fully on board with Batman Beyond, but DC proper isn't. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I wonder I wonder if part of it too is that they want to keep the Batman Beyond name out there, but they're also they've been kind of gun shy about doing future stories because they've got the 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 Bendis legion stuff but also the the 5g coming or the g5 uh-huh. um and so maybe like they just g6 <laughs> god damn it 
uh and so maybe they, maybe they <laughs> proud of yourself there yeah, yeah you are <laughs> hey, it was funny <laughs> it was um what was i saying g5 how they're, how they're reluctant yeah, they, to do future stuff they're, because yeah they're, 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 they're reluctant to do future stuff that really matters a whole lot until maybe the whatever the next event is you know maybe they'll start to maybe with this g5 so, stuff There'll Until Robert like, Pattinson's Batman is is Terry McGinnis and he's Batman Beyond. Yeah, yep, you're right. You nailed it. That's what I want. That's the and dream. I'll, I'll keep saying it. I'll keep saying it. Yep. Well, let's let's keep saying some stuff about uh, about Black Adam. See that see that transition there, boys. That's why I'm a pro here. Um, we got the year of the villain, Black Adam issue is, is it is it just me or did you guys already forget the year the villains happening <laughs> no i haven't forgotten it's happening I because it's at the end of every forget. issue yeah i just i keep feeling like whenever we start one of these issues again i'm like oh man i thought we were moving past this and here no. we are right again. and it's it's an entire year and it's only been like six months maybe that's true that's true that that symbol is in the sky at the end of every book that's true Anyway, this issue was written by Paul Jenkins, illustrated by Inakir Miranda. I have one really solid goof I want to get to in a little while, but <laughs> I want us to talk about the okay. issue first. Okay. Um, what did you guys think of the issue? Um, I I liked it. It was fine. Um, there was nothing wrong with it, but I think it was the least it was the most straightforward of any of the year, the villain issues, I think storytelling wise, some of the other ones have like the Riddler one ended with a potentially big status quo change for the Riddler, for example, mm -hmm. you know, I think this one was kind of just the most, like everybody basically finishes where they started I would push back on that a little bit because I feel like uh, I, I feel like Black Adam had had an arc in this a little bit. I thought well, I thought he, he had some growth. It, he, it wasn't he, particularly deep, but it, it I think he had growth. He did have an arc, but but it's but not the sort of arc that is going to change his behavior or anything in any other book. It's not like the Riddler where now like you have no idea what he's going to be like the next time he shows up, you know, it, it, for this, like, yes, there was a character arc, but like what he's going to be a little nicer to his subjects or like, what's the, I mean, so I, okay. Like the reason I liked this is because black Adam is really, really good. And he's, been good for a long time and no one wants to let him be good anymore and now he's good again yeah well, here's what i was yeah. gonna say about this issue yes. uh what i was gonna say about this issue was that this is a very different type of year of the villain issue in that he's not offered anything and even if he was i don't get the impression that he would have taken it that this is it's a year of the villain special, but it's really about him becoming a hero. And we know that he's been a hero in the past, but this, in this continuity, in this time, it seems like this is his realization of his heroism 
beyond him just always thinking he's right. I feel like Black Adam always thinks that he's the hero of the story, but this is the first time that he's actually doing heroic shit in a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. This is more of like a... So I guess like Year of the Villain really is like all-encompassing of Justice League, Event Leviathan, and the the uh, Batman Who Laughs stuff. Um, yeah, I guess Doomsday Clock too, to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Leviathan gets name-checked here. King Shazam, Shazam Who Laughs is in this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lex is mentioned. So this is like a very... This is like a... a Black Adam one shot set in current status quo is like what this is. And uh man, Black Adam is just like so much cooler than Shazam is, unfortunately, <laughs> I think. Um Yeah. Well, yeah. And, yeah. and I, I, um as the Shazam sure stan would, uh would push back on that. Well, no, what I was going to say is I think that when they're both on their game, they're so different and they complement each other very well. The problem is I think very few people can write the innocence of Billy without it being cloying. And when it's cloying, Black Adam is so much cooler. Yeah. I mean, it's just like Black Adam is such a defining figure of so much of, um, you know, my kind of golden age of comics. Um, From like 05 to, I guess even a little bit before that, because he was in JSA. So really like 03 to you know, the new 52. Um, and, and, um, it's kind of weird because I feel like if this issue is indicative of anything, it's, it's like he, he was in a, you know, really good place. And then they kind of dropped him, you know, John's used him in forever evil, very, you know, really sparingly. And then, He's in Doomsday Clock. He's kind of, again, become like a victim of the John shelf, you know? He's he's a John's baby. He's put on the shelf. And John's, like, doesn't really use him and no one else can. And I really hope that this issue is indicative of, like, no, Black Adam is good and we're going to do things with him. I hope yeah, so. I hope, I hope so. I hope you're right. Um, You know, I... The writers all keep saying we're tying everything together and everything's going to feel like very much like one big event happening. And for some reason, whether it's us sometimes or other writers or, or, you know, CBR exclusives (laughs) don't seem to want to believe that, you know, everybody's always skeptical when I think when they see like when they go like, uh, well, does this really matter or, you know, it's like this book is ignoring this other. I, I don't know. I think DC is doing a really good job of tying everything together. I think in some ways that's detrimental because I think a lot of these books kind of do feel the same or, or like they're slowing down to line up with one another a little bit. Nine ways the DC timeline lines up and seven it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I but I also but I also kind of like that they're doing that. And I think, I think it's, there's a, there's always a trade off. Right. And I kind of like, but I do, I do like when, when like DC or Marvel attempt that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I do too. Um, 
When's the last time you guys read anything written by Paul Jenkins? Well, wouldn't it have been... He who just wrote did something. The, he just did something. Who wrote the... Um, shit. Um, Didn't he do the other year of the villain when we liked? Um, no, no. Didn't he nope. just do a year of the villain? Didn't he do Dr. Fate? Was he the Dr. Fate writer? No, that, that was... Paul Levitz. That was... Yeah. Oh, Paul Levitz, you're right. You're right. Yeah, Paul Jenkins. Holy shit, it's been a while. No, no, he hasn't done a. The other year, the villain books were. Um, well, there was the John Carpenter slash, um, what's his name, video game guy. Yeah, there was Mark um, Russell. There was Mark Russell. Two Mark Russell books, right? You said Two video Mark game Russell. guy. I said Super Mario yeah. Brothers. Yeah, it was yeah, Mark. That's it. That's it was that's the co Shigeru Miyamoto, Miyamoto co-wrote it with with Hideo Kojima. <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> give uh, Akira Yoshida. Give, give, Akira Kojima, Yoshida. Give Kojima Deathstroke after Priest leaves. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I cannot wait to see who pees on who. <laughs> um. Oh, Death Slade just looks uh, uncannily like Norman Reedus. <laughs> <laughs> no, what? Uh, uh, I I don't. I think it's been a while since we've seen Paul no, Jenkins. It, it, it has been a while. I don't know what I was thinking of. I'm looking at his comic book DB page, and he hasn't done anything. The last thing he did that that came out already is the book Beyonders, which I don't okay. even know what that is. I've heard um, of it, but I can't think of what it is. Is that a is that a Marvel thing? Uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think so either. It's uh, aftershock. That's what it is. Mm. Uh. For DC, the last thing that he did, I think, was in the New Fifty Two, and I think it was like the Dark Knight. Didn't he take over after? Um, didn't he take over after uh, uh, David Finch? Yeah, Finch. That uh, doesn't even sound right to me i don't know hold on i'm looking up his wikipedia page right now um i'm I'm on it too the last thing he did for dc appears to be um some legends of the dark knight digital stuff oh okay and before that it looks like it was um (laughs) batman the dark knight you're right vincey oh okay i don't think they have that on Wikipedia, but they've also got it mapped. Out. Yeah, they've got it he was co-writing with Finch, Vince. Oh, he was co-writing. Okay, for so- okay, all right. For the first like seven issues, it looks like oh, he okay. also he also did uh, he did he was the second writer of Stormwatch. That's uh, right. That is right. After, after um, Peter Paul Milligan? Cornell left, Paul Cornell. Yeah. Oh. Milligan did uh, Justice League Dark. Yes. Okay. okay. And then, and then, so after Jenkins left Stormwatch, I think it went on for a while with Peter Milligan. You're right. Milligan came over to Stormwatch, but then he did. But then, then uh, Jim Starlin, Jim took, Starlin over took, over took over and <laughs> rebooted the whole fucking thing into a weird miasma of '90s bullshit. Oh my yeah. god, that's right. Holy shit. All right, Zach, I'm going to pull on your superpower here. 
How many issues does Stormwatch have? By the way, last writer, Sterling Gates. Totally forgot that. It was more. I forgot that too. Oh, no. It was in the 30s, I think, wasn't it? Give it to me, Zach. What's what's the exact number? Am I. Is it in the 30s? I'm not going to give you any clues. You got to give me a number here. Oh, dang it. No, it might have been. It might have been high 20s. Um, I'm not counting the zero issue, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I want to say. Oh man, my heart. There, I have two numbers in my head. One is twenty-nine, and the other is thirty-four. Go with what's in your heart. <sighs> Follow your heart, Zach. Dang it! No, I'm gonna say thirty-four. No, it was thirty. Oh, uh, okay. But still, well, it was twenty-nine. No, it was thirty. It was number thirty with a zero issue. Yes. Okay. Number number thirty, Close. written by Sterling Gates, illustrated by Jeremy Roberts. Uh-huh. So there were so there were thirty one issues then. If, if you count the zero issue, which I which I wasn't doing, yes. Okay. Man, I was I was close. I you had were. A, I was I was in there. I had for I want to say the first issue with the Starlin bullshit was nineteen. I think that's right because that was the that was the WTF issues. Oh, that's was, right. Was was nineteen? Um, yes. What the fuck or not? <laughs> <laughs> um. So it was it was it was eighteen or nineteen, and I thought that that went on for like two issues. That went on for eleven or twelve issues, kids. Yeah, it went on for a long time. I think it, uh, went, on, it went on until the last issue. Yes, it which did. Sterling Gates. Yeah. And then Sterling Gates like brought the original team back because they felt mm-hmm. like that needed to happen. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, what uh, that book only ever sucked. It was never good. <laughs> That's Sorry. Right. I, I like the... Paul Cornell, but that book was awful. And I feel Which like is be... why it's going to be our next reading series. Yeah, uh, no. But I, I feel like the, 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 it, it was an intriguing concept, and by putting Martian Manhunter there, I liked that decision at the time. Yep. And, uh, man, that did not age well. No, uh, no, speak, it did not. Speaking of not aging well, our takes on the top ten DC books coming out right now <laughs> might not age well a month from now. See uh, Trinity, <laughs> which made our list <laughs> very well, early. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! We're not moving on from the Year of the Villain book yet, are we? I mean, do you have more to say about it? You had a you had a goof. Oh, I have a goof. Yes. You didn't even. I have a goof. Okay, so um. <laughs> <laughs> oh no really quick really yeah, quick yeah. i have to say this on tacking on stormwatch the last issue of stormwatch the series finale and a future's end prelude oh hell yeah oh boy <laughs> so okay continue oh boy okay uh so in this issue black adam <laughs> says the single funniest line in dc comics in recent memory which is he says and again i don't have the issue in front of me because uh well because dc um, reasons he says something like uh, for some reason I picture him as Bella Lugosi saying it like as your phrase goes freedom isn't free and yeah. uh, I could only think of the Team America World Police song freedom isn't free yes. which uh, says that there's Cross a hefty fucking like fee yeah it's, it's a hefty <laughs> fucking fee yeah uh, and uh, <laughs> if you don't throw in your buck 05 who will so that's right uh, that's right <laughs> I just picture Black Adam being a big Team America World Police fan he also says you want American jeans, which is uh, <laughs> yes. something something Drill would say. 
Uh, I feel like if you if drill hits. <laughs> Uh, oh man oh also gamers rise up in this issue <laughs> yeah that's right yeah they also crib they also crib monty python's holy grail by saying uh is power derived from a mandate from the masses yep and the answer is yes it is it's not some watery tart throwing a sword at you uh and also billy batson is yang gang it's confirmed in this issue. Oh, you're right, he is. Yanking. You're right. Hashtag TV, gang gang. TBI. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, Black uh, Adam is freaking drunk. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. The metaphor is not exact. There. No, it, it's not, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. Let's All right, get now to our we, top not, 10. Yeah. Yes. Now that we've unloaded the goofs, <laughs> um, let's get to the top ten. So, uh, for those that haven't heard us do this before, we're gonna start with number ten. If one of us has the book higher than the others, we'll say we'll talk about that later. So we talk about the book at its highest place on the list. Um, Makes sense. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> Vince, why don't you kick us off? What's your number ten? Can I mention an honorable mention before we start? If you have to. Uh, my honorable my honorable mention is Martian Manhunter. The the a book that I love but I always forget and you don't have to say we'll talk about it later. We're not I'm gonna just, talk about it later. I, okay, okay. We're not going to talk about it later. All right. I I I really like it. I really wanted to get it on this list. I always forget about it though until it shows up in the DC box, you know. Uh-huh. Um anyway, my number 10 Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to talk okay. about that book. Yeah. Okay. So the, there, there's something about the, the execution of this book that bugs me just a little. I, you know how it does like that title page thing where it gives you the, the Superman's whatever Jimmy Olsen, like yes. title page five or six times in each issue. Yes it's a little stop and start for me in that way. And I think I've criticized it in the past for that, but that aside, I love everything else about this book. Um, it's funny. It shows a side of DC comics in general that doesn't often get to be shown. You know, I feel like it's, it's right there with wonder twins as far as like, uh, taking some of the goofier aspects of DC Comics and putting a spotlight on them. Um, I love that it references all these past Jimmy Olsen wacky stories. Um, thing, you know, the, all the weird stuff that he's been through. Um, and the Steve Lieber art is awesome. I love Lieber. I, I loved uh, the stuff that he used to do for Marvel, even with Nick Spencer writing. So like the... Uh, superior foes of spider-man stuff um that was i just think good. it's it's there is such a pitch perfect comedic tone and timing to his art it fits like a glove whenever you do a book like this and i'm loving seeing him on a dc book so that's my number 10 that that was right that was either my last cut or my second to last cut mm. so i agree it's quite good 
It, it is good. I haven't been liking it as much as I expected to. Um, I think I've kind of been a little bit down on it, maybe because I think the start and stop being bothers me a little bit more. Um, but I mean, it is quite good. And, and I'll just say I have, I have something to say later. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, what is your number 10, Zach? Um, uh, okay. Some, I, I, I feel pretty confident in saying my number 10 is Teen Titans. Hmm. That was my other last cut. Okay. Talk about it. So talk about it. Yeah. Uh, um, I just like this book a lot. I think Bernard Chang is a great fit for the book. Um, I think Adam Glass is doing maybe his like best work ever at DC. I think the team is really fresh and fun. And um, I like this book better than Young Justice. Somehow. I like it better than Young Justice also, actually. I like the idea behind Young Justice better. But in terms mm-hmm. of the actual book in my hands, I prefer Teen Titans. Yeah, yeah. And I, I will say that this book has been elevated over the past year by its close ties to Deathstroke, which we'll talk about that later. Yes, we will. Um, but uh, yeah, Teen Titans is surprisingly good, and, and I think it is worth checking out. And I think, I think it is really um, one of the few books at DC that is bolstered by its original characters as opposed to its you know kind of stalwarts i think you know um i'm way more interested in in jen and crush and uh roundhouse i think is gold, his name? Gold, is that right? gold balls gold balls yeah gold balls redux um <laughs> i i think that they're really cool interesting characters and and i I am interested in them and the way that they interact with, you know, Robin, Imiko, and and Wallace more so than, you know, kind of those main three characters on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Teen Titans is good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, that that what that was my number eleven or twelve along with Jimmy Olsen. So you guys are. We're we're simpatico for right now. I'm sure the fist will be flying soon. Um, my number ten is Justice League Dark. We will talk about that soon. Okay. All right. So Vince, what's your number nine? My number nine is Wonder Woman. We will talk about we that later. We will talk about that later. Nice. Uh, uh, Zach, what's your mm-hmm. number nine? My number nine is Justice League Dark. Okay, so let's talk about it. Okay. Um, I So this book, I think we've talked about, is kind of plagued by some decompression, some heavy exposition. But when this book is on, it's really, really on. And, um, you know, especially artistically with Alvaro Martinez Bueno, um, just spectacular looking. Um some really interesting concepts and a really, really cool cast, um, you know, kind of, you know, we raved about Tynion's detective comics for the, the cast. And I think he carries that over here into justice league dark. Um, I want to put this book higher. I think it's just held back by a few weak arcs um, and some over long arcs, especially. Yes. And, and I will say that lately, this book has slapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been it's been very good. 
as of late. The uh, sort of connecting with the um, with the Doctor's fate has been really good, especially because neither one of them wants to take that name right now. So Kent Nelson and Khalid are just kind of like the resident sorcerers, I guess, in the group right now. Um, and that that's a really fun dynamic. I love seeing Detective Chimp in a position of prominence at DC. I think overall this is a really, really solid book. I think both the overlong arcs have hurt this book. And also, when we were pitched this book initially, I think it was supposed to have a more central place in the um, sort of New Justice line of books. Yeah. And that hasn't really happened. And so I think initially there was some disappointment on my end of like, well, we were sort of promised a book we're not getting, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think taking it for what it is, I think this is a super fun, really enjoyable book. Yeah. Yeah, it's not integral to like the ongoing machinations of the DC right now, but it's a good, good story on its own most of the time. Yeah, agreed. Um, so my number nine is Aquaman. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. Vince, what is your number eight? Deceased. We'll talk about that later. Ooh, baby. Ooh. Not on my list, deceased. Um, all right. Uh, uh, what's your number eight, Zach? Uh, uh, my number eight is Wonder Woman. We'll talk about that later. Okay. My number eight is The Flash. I, I think you're going to speak on it, unless Zach... Go off. Yeah, no, go, go. Go uh, off, King. So yeah. I, I think that The Flash, in some ways, suffers from being... And pardon the speed pun here, like the slow and steady book of Rebirth, uh-huh. where in a lot of ways it's chugging along and week to week or month to month, it may not seem like a ton is happening in the book, but it's been so solid and so steady. And I think reading this book in chunks is really helpful. Like reading three or four issues at a clip, I think it it comes together in a really, really satisfying way and i've been recently catching up on the book in in those sort of chunks of of rereading it and i've been i've been enjoying it a whole lot more that way so yeah i i think that's fair i need to do that i'm actually you know maybe about two or three issues behind so um i will catch up on it i think it is maybe lagged a little bit in my opinion since starting this whole force quest stuff with the the multiple forces um but i i think you're right it is kind of like the the slow and steady stalwart of rebirth you know it's that rock yeah um yeah all right vince what's your number seven aquaman okay go for it let's talk about it all right all right so you know that that first arc, which which I really liked, but but could see how it got off to a, a slow start for for some people, for most people maybe, um, was one thing. But I think what Kelly Sue has done since then has been really special, turning this book into um, 
something that encompasses both uh, worlds that that Arthur lives in. I think to to a to a good degree. I always feel like in most runs, one or the other, Atlantis or uh, you know wherever he is on Earth, gets the short shrift. Um, but I don't think that's the case here, and I think. She's finding ways to add new characters that are additive to the mythology. Uh, I think the art has been pretty outstanding across the board. And now I'm going to forget who it was that launched. Who launched with her? Robson Roca. Yeah, yes, yes. Doing career work, really. Um, Aquaman's been more fun than he usually is. Uh, I, I know that... Some people refer to that as the the Jason Momoaing of him, but I think you know I'd rather have that than a character who's not interesting. And um, it's become one of these books that I look forward to reading first uh, every week that it shows up because because it's been so entertaining on top of everything else, and because so. you read the books in alphabetical order. <laughs> yeah, God, fuck you. <laughs> Come on, you set yourself wide open for that one, and you know it. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. mad but you respect me right now I'm no, no <laughs> please <laughs> I've um, never respected you that, that's true <laughs> I've never respected you less you've never respected me period yeah yeah um, so what I'll what I'll say is I don't love the Jason Momoa-ing of Aquaman in this mm-hmm. book but I think that the rest of what Kelly Sue is doing is so strong that that I'm fine with it essentially. Um, it's it's the begrudging aspect of the book for me. But you you nailed it, Vince. That sometimes, like for instance, I I really loved um, what Dan Abnett did with this book. But Dan Abnett focused mainly on Atlantis, mm-hmm. and gave us a really great Atlantean story, and there wasn't as much sort of land based stuff in his run. Whereas this book is really giving us the best of both worlds. And that is why I'm so enamored with this book at the moment. So yeah, good job, Kelly Sue. All right. um, Zach, what is your number seven? My number seven is Dial H. Mm, We'll talk about that later. Okay. Okay. Uh, my number seven is Gotham City Monsters. Oh dang! Yeah, go 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 off. Okay. Yeah, I'm bringing the thunder here. Uh, Gotham City Monsters is dope. <laughs> it's a really good team. It's got Frankenstein, it's like Andrew Bennett. There, there's nothing not to love about the the crew there. It's doing something with. Well, first of all, you got to marvel at Steve Orlando introducing some of this stuff back at the very beginning of Rebirth with Monster Town and letting it simmer. And here we are, you know, uh, three plus years later, and he's using it to great effect right now. And so good for Orlando. I'm very pleased that he was able to do that. Uh, That's number one. Number two... I love it when a character when when a writer can make me care about a character I never really gave a shit about before, 
And so far, that is what Orlando is doing with Killer Croc in this book. Um, Killer Croc has never been better than he is right here. And, um, you know, I, I think for a lot of the reasons that we praised Justice League Dark, we can praise Gotham City Monsters for a similar thing. They're both in, in similar parts of the DCU with the supernatural and the horror and all of that. So I think that it's a very fair comparison to make those to put make those books like almost like sister books, you know. Um and yeah, that's my number seven. I I think that's fair. I I didn't pick it because it's only two issues in. Uh, um and I'm trying not to <laughs> Afraid of the Trinity, huh? <laughs> I'm afraid of the I not that I think it'll take a Trinity, but I, I just had other books that have been running longer that I wanted to cover, but I, I think that it is definitely a good pick. And I actually think, you know, just on those two issues, it is on par or better than Justice League Dark, but, you know, like I said, I, I kind of excluded it for that reason. Sure. All right. All right, Vince, what's your number six? Deathstroke. We'll probably talk oh, about that later. We'll gosh, talk about that later, talk you about fuck. That yeah. <laughs> later, my goodness. I mean, it's really good, but I, wow. I, have, I have my explanation. I, okay, that's fine. It's probably not I mean, a good enough explanation for it's you. It's been but... over a year since the Batman. Yeah, it's been. The Batman arc, so, you know, <laughs> can't really count that anymore. Right. No, and I, I liked that arc, so. <laughs> I know you did. Oh, okay. So is that is it my number six? Yeah, then? your number six. Yeah, um, my number six is Justice League. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Uh, my number six is Wonder Woman. Okay, talk about it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, this, like the Flash, I think is a book that reads really well in chunks. And a couple of times I've fallen a month or two behind on this, just, or an issue or two behind, rather, just because, you know, we haven't been talking about it every single episode. And so I'll read it in two or three issue clusters, and it's it's been just really, really enjoyable. And, you know, G. Willow Wilson's about to leave the book, which is a bummer, but Steve Orlando's taking it over, and we're big Steve Orlando fans here, and his fill-in issues have been pretty great as well. And I just feel like, you know, after Rucka left the book, James Robinson took a steaming shit all over the title for a while. And I think we were all afraid that it was going to be a case of, well, Rucka was the high-profile Wonder Woman writer, and now she's just going to kind of languish in the bottom third of the Trinity for a while until either Rucka gets more time on his hands or they make another big splashy signing. And G. Willow Wilson is every bit the big name the book needed, but I don't think that DC treated it as big as maybe they could have or should have when she came on board. And yet, I think that her run is probably... It's one of the best runs we've had recently of a title incorporating the past few years worth of stories into one into a new uh into a new story does that make sense i I think she's done an excellent job at even taking some of the robinson nonsense and making that work for her run and that's super impressive to me yes 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 um 
I just like this run a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. I've talked about how I really like the um, the like animal characters um, and how they've been used. I really like the kind of main new character that G. Willow Wilson has created. I am blanking on her name right now, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I am too. Daniel. The one, the one with the sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is very cool, and I really hope that she. Uh, um becomes wonder woman next year (laughs) um we'll see um and uh yeah i just think it's been really really good i really uh the art on it has been really good between you know the kiri nord and the zermanico issues and i I think there's one other artist who is kind of on there occasionally is it daniel sampier on there maybe Mm, he's no, been on something recently. I can't remember what it was. He's been on Justice League. Maybe that—that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, Maggie is the name of that character, by the way. Maggie. Okay. Maggie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think that um, I think the book is really in a good place, and it, I think it's very interesting. Um, the latest solicit uh, shows that they're going to do a number seven fifty anniversary issue, yep. which is. Mm kind of surprising to me that they numbered it 750 as opposed to just doing a you know kind of legacy number type thing well aren't they doing did, are they really calling it wonder woman yeah number? they oh, are yeah okay. uh, yeah yeah and, and, the reason, and it's a the reason fucking I ask, dope list of creators too on it have you seen this Vince? yeah, yeah. yes the, but the reason i ask is because they've done like superman issues before where the variant right. cover had that that's what I mean. It? Yeah, that's what ah, I mean. Like usually okay. they do that, but no, this is a full on seven fifty. And are you so... talking about the uh, Detective Comics New Fifty Two where it was like the nine hundred, whatever that thing the 900. was? Nine hundred. Remember yeah. that? I do. No, I'm, yeah. no, I'm talking about even after Rebirth, like Superman got a Superman got like an issue eight hundred or nine hundred where the variant cover said the number on it, right. but the no, main one is, did. This is number seven hundred, and. Uh, so far announced the writers are Greg Rucka, Gal Simone, Vita Ayala, Marguerite Bennett, Jeff Loveness, and Steve Orlando, as well as Kemi Garcia, Mariko Tamaki, and Shannon and Dean Hale, who are doing that Diana, Princess of the Amazons book. And the artists announced are Colleen Doran, Jesus Marino, Nicola Scott, Elena Casagrande, and Gabriel Piccolo. Mm, that's so, great. Yeah, it's a, it's a killer lineup. I'm super excited about this book gonna be great um yeah so that's that was my number six so vince what's your number five my number five is superman we'll talk about that later uh, my number five is also superman but we'll talk about it later apparently so uh vince what is your number four wait i didn't do my number five i'm, I'm sorry I, I i i forgot what's your number five my number five is deceased ah let's talk about it okay uh, this book is very good, much better than it had any right to be. And um, Tom Taylor is the best. And um, I just, it's been a long time since we've had a good kind of Elseworlds type story, like ongoing. I, I take that back. I guess we've had um, Freedom Fighters, but I don't know if any of us are even reading that anymore. But um, I just, I don't care about zombie stuff at all but i think the the things that 
uh, the the way that Taylor's played with zombie tropes have been really interesting, and the things that he's done with the DC universe characters is even more interesting. Particularly the stuff with like Green Lantern, um, Dinah, and you know passing on the Bat mantle to a very young Damien. Um, it's just really good, and I uh, know it's ending next issue. Uh, but I really hope that we maybe get a second volume. I can almost guarantee a second volume, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- this book just proves to me what, what I kind of already suspected from what everybody says about the Injustice comics that I haven't really read, um, which is that Tom Taylor just gets the essential nature of pretty much any character he writes, right? Like, um, the best stuff about Deceased has nothing to do with the premise, which I couldn't care less about. It's that any character that he's writing at any given moment is given a really big moment or a great character beat or a change that's made to them that is interesting, like with the Dinah Green Lantern thing. But, you know, ultimately, whoever he's writing at, any given point it's like it's like the version of the character in my mind i think it, it's almost like um like the tim and dini verse cartoon version like you know what i mean like those mm-hmm. versions of the character that's what i picture in my mind when i think about dc comics tom taylor's writing is almost like that where when he's writing these characters they just sound like how i think they're supposed to be sound you know what i mean mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. He, he he never gets anything wrong i think and i hope that there's more of this but what i hope even beyond that is that taylor gets bigger gigs at dc because i think he's super talented he's going to be doing this suicide squad book that i'm really interested in but I, but I'd like for him to be like the next Justice League writer or something, you know, just I want more of this in some form. I'm I'm still I'm still very behind on this book, so I have to catch up. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So, Vince, what's your number four? My number four is Justice League. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Interesting. Zach, your number four. Uh, my number four. I feel like I'm going to ruffle some feathers here. Uh, my number four is the Green Lantern. Mm. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Okay. No, no feathers ruffled though. No, same, okay. same, same thing. Yes. Um, I feel like I'm going to ruffle some feathers with my number four. Uh, my <laughs> number four is uh, Doom Patrol: Way to the Worlds. Ah, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later, but that's fine. Okay. Uh, Vince, what's your number three? My number three is Dial H for Hero. Go off. I yep. I love this book. I want to give it just hot, wet kisses. Um, I I love it. It's really it it does a gimmick on me, but the gimmick works, which is all these different homages to different comics, whether they're American comics, whether they're superhero comics, whether they're indie comics, whether they're Japanese comics. There's so many homages packed into however many issues we've gotten so far that there's something new to look at on every page. 
and the images are all almost all like note perfect. Some of them are even amalgamations of multiple homages. And, you know, pr- probably if that's all the book was, <laughs> uh, it might still make my list because I'm such a sucker for that and it's so well executed. But that's not all the book is. What it is also is a very funny book at times. It's a book that has a surprising amount of emotion to it. Um, there was a sequence where I think if I remember correctly, they were aping, uh, the Hernandez bros Mm -hmm. and there was a really emotionally effective, uh, moment for the main character whose name is escaping me right now. Um, but it was really, it was like honestly affecting on top of everything else. And, um, for that reason, this book ends up really high on my list because it's it's got all this stuff that suckers me in and, and the stuff that I fall for. But at the same time, it's just a really well-told story, too, that encompasses really the history of the Dial H for Hero uh, story, too. It's not It's not trying to pull away and do its own thing. It's really staying true to what came before as well. So uh, just all around a really great DC comics book, I think. What I was going to say about this book, Vince, is that um, it would have made my top 10 two months ago, but I think that since the book was announced as coming back for the sort of the back-end six issues, I think it's very much felt in its first two issues back like it wasn't prepared for that and Mm. is somewhat scrambling to fill the pages because it's not quite, it wasn't quite ready for the next chapter yet. That I, I think they've both been fun issues, but I think that like especially the last one, which is like the art jam issue, um, number seven was like there were a bunch of different artists doing that. That very much felt like a, oh shit, we have to kill time while Quinones gets his act together. Sure, yeah. And that's no offense to Quinones, it's just you know that's what happens when a book is announced to six issues and then becomes twelve. Um, so I just feel like the last two issues have not been quite as emotionally resonant, and that's why it didn't make my my top 10 this time. That's fair. Yeah, no, I think that this book is super cool and um, I'm very happy that Sam Humphreys is getting to getting to shine at DC um, between this and, and Harley, which who knows if I was caught up on might be on my top 10 list. Yeah. Same. Um, just think uh, that whenever you're reading this book, just remember, coming from the man who gave us Frank Leminski. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It'd be funny if, uh, why didn't, they, you know how they showed like all the different characters uh, with the with the like H dial ringing in their head or whatever in yes. those early issues? Why did we not see Frank Leminski? That's, that's truly a wonderful question, Vince, and one that I think will only be answered at the pearly gates by the Lord and Savior himself. Um, <laughs> okay, so that was your number three? Yes. Zach, what's your number three? My number three is Superman. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And I really am going to cheat here because like, Superman is definitely in my number three, but... I also want to use this as a placeholder for like everything that Vince is doing, even the stuff I don't like as much, um, because I think it is 
probably the most exciting stuff at DCD right now. Um, the Bendis verse. Um, but particularly, I think Superman has kind of stood out over the last year. I think it has kind of risen above action comics as the kind of premier Superman book. Um, I think, you know, we had the end of the Unity Saga recently, which was spectacular. Um, nice. The way it wrapped up so many threads, even things that, you know, were present before Bendis took over, like the the Jarrell stuff. Um, the way it set up for Legion was incredible. Um and just kind of the the place that Bendis has steered the Superman franchise over the past, um, you know, the past year and a half or so, I think, is just spectacular, I guess. You know, it's the most... I, I, I really, you know, we all liked the Tomasi Gleason run, at least initially, um, but I think this even kind of smashes the best parts of that, even. Um so, yeah, I think that this is a very, very good book. And to be fair, Bendis has not had a chance yet to have Superman leave a bag of bones on someone's front steps. That's so. true. He hasn't. He hasn't. <laughs> but but he could have if he wanted to, you know. That's true. That's true. Um, no, I, I agree, Zach. I, I think the last time we did this, we had – I had Action Comics in the list for Bendis and not Superman. Because I think yeah. when it first started, action was clearly the standout here. But the Unity Saga and everything with John, and especially the last issue with John and Damien, like, it just to me shows that Superman is the book that Bendis is telling his largest Superman story with. Mm-hmm. And I'm really enjoying the scale of that story. Yeah. Vince, was this in your top ten? It was number five, yes. Okay, I couldn't yeah. remember. Where it fell. Yeah, but but I think you guys said everything I wanted to say, so. Okay. Uh, my number three is Justice League. I think you can speak on it. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I want to say a few things about Justice League. The first thing I want to say is just, you know, about what Scott Snyder said this book was going to be. And how he has made it exactly what he said it was going to be. And I think so many times we get writers talking about their grand plans for something. And then for whatever reason those plans change and the book doesn't feel like what we were promised. And I think this book feels exactly like what we were promised from Snyder when when he took over this title. Every issue feels huge. Every issue feels important. And even the issues that are not fantastic comics from top to bottom they are so fun and they are so lively and they are so um they just have this bombast that reminds me of the dc comics from my childhood and i feel i feel like the last couple of years especially since rebirth started before he came on justice league there was this real attempt to sort of um It didn't feel like the Justice League was tackling the level of threat or having the level of book that I expected. You know, when 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 the New 52 launched and Justice League was going to be its flagship title, we got a few things like the Trinity War, like the Dark Side War, all those things that 
I guess theoretically were living up to that hype, but it never to me felt like you had to be reading Justice League to fully understand the DC Universe. Now it feels like you have to be reading Justice League to fully understand the DC Universe. Yeah. Good yeah. Point. Yeah, I agree. I um you know, I put this at number six right below Deceased, and I, I gave Deceased the edge because I feel like it's doing more with less, um, which I find very impressive. But, I mean, yeah, technically, like, this Justice League is astounding for its scale and scope and just all of the things that it's doing with DC history are, are very good. And, and yeah, I, I echo everything you said. Yeah, I every issue that that drops of Justice League, it feels like it has one or two or even three new things or old things pulled from the past and put into this book or or or, or hints at what's coming. Um, it's no, it's not a book that feels decompressed at all. Even though I'm pretty sure this arc is going to end up being like eight or nine or ten issues or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, but yeah, there's some rewriting like DC that's... history forward and backward in it. So yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, I think that's probably the ultimate compliment to pay to it because you know me, I can't stand most comic arcs that are longer than three issues, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I literally don't care how long this one goes on as long as it's this good. So I can't think of a higher compliment to pay than that. All right. Well, Vince, what's your number two? My number two is the Green Lantern. My number two is the Green Lantern. Nice. You guys talk about it. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's it's Grant Morrison, right? Like, I bow at the altar here. Um, but I think, you know, he's he's pretty close, for my money, to being as good as ever, I think. I think this book does a lot of the same things that his um, Batman run did. And I think that, that, that uh, you know, his Batman is like the perfect Batman to me. And it, it just might be that his Hal Jordan is the perfect Hal to me. Because I, I, I generally think Hal's a kind of a boring character. But um, he kind of writes the Green Lantern with that in mind, I think. Um and I, I think, you know, there's there's all kinds of, like, alternate Earth stuff that he pulls in. Um, <laughs> he'll just he'll just toss off a line here or there that's, like, the most ridiculous thing that you'll read in a given month of comics. And you're just asked to go along with it. And, uh, and, and we do because it's Grant Morrison and he's brilliant at doing that. And you know that either it's going to pay off somewhere down the road or it never is. And you can just take it for what it is. And it's going to work either way. Um, the Liam Sharp art is insane. It's insanely good. And he's been on every issue of this, uh, except for the annual. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever Grant throws at him, he rises to the challenge and, and, and draws it. And I feel like he's been really consistent, but also I think he's been asked to tackle a couple different genres within one book. You know, there's some horror stuff, there's some fantasy type stuff. 
there's a lot of technological type stuff and and he draws it all extremely well like he's just been on point this entire time and you can you can tell that they feed off of one another um so not bad for an artist and a writer who had never been paired before uh before this book so um yeah i'm i'm consistently in awe of a book that i feel like doesn't really matter in the dc universe and nobody really talks about i i think it's so much better than the hype that it's not getting um so i'm happy to talk about it whenever it whenever i can brian you had this at two as well yeah i'll agree with with just about everything you said there my one note i'll say is i thought that the 12th issue did not stick the landing as well as i maybe hoped it would have um it was very much setting up for what's next as opposed to closing out this particular story. Yeah, which um, is weird. It's a weird turn that it took there, but yeah. Yeah, but aside from that, this is a pretty much a near-perfect comic. It's insane how much we could... We could have done entire episodes based on each issue. Just like digging into all the all the incredible detail, both artistically and from a scripting perspective. Just such an amazing book. And after, let's call it, close to five years of Green Lantern being kind of a lost franchise for DC, this seems to be the first real bright spot in the Lantern books in a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything to add, Zach? Because I know this was in your top ten as well. Yeah, yeah. So I put it lower, but that's more just to speak to like the quality of the other books that I picked. Um I think that the Green Lantern is spectacular, you know, on par with, you know, most of Morrison's DC work, which is all like generally spectacular. So, um, yeah, this book is really good. And I, um, I'm, I'm interested, you know, I think we were all maybe just a little, not disappointed, but, um, the, the last issue didn't really, feel like an ending i guess i should say so and it's probably shouldn't even be treated as such um but i i'm really interested to see where it goes next all right um zach what's your number two my number two is doom patrol weight of the worlds uh, we'll talk about that later oh okay and my number two was the green lantern so vince what's your number one big surprise here uh, Doom Patrol, the weight of the worlds. Um, I love that this comic exists because DC really has uh, has no incentive to publish this book in this form. I don't think they have as a... proven by it ending in January. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep. Um, I know they have a show to promote. I'm sure they'd like to promote it with a comic. Uh, being released alongside it, but uh, I'm I'm kind of shocked they're not doing a more straightforward version of Doom Patrol to line up with the DC Universe show. Instead, what we get is this incredibly inventive, bonkers uh, series with different artists coming in doing their thing uh, with. Kind of to an outsider, it would be a really dense form of storytelling because it does pull a lot from the previous 
like Gerard Way Doom Patrol stuff and builds on it. And um, characters are constantly changing their status quos for seemingly little or no reason other than to just be wacky and random. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean, like, like what's the reason for uh, negative man getting split into positive and negative? You know what I mean? Like, right. There's, there's, there's a thin storytelling thread there because not a heck of a lot of time is spent on it. So, so people who maybe aren't as used to reading weird comics aren't going to be willing to go along with that as easily. I am though. And I appreciate that, that uh, the creators try to pack as much of that stuff into every issue as they can. Um, I think, you know, any, any comic that gets James Harvey to come in and do an issue or two of art is worth its weight in gold. You know, but just the willingness to go and do this offbeat art, not the typical style that you see in their comics all the time. Uh, that's the thing that's that's most that I appreciate most about it, because I wish even like mainstream superhero comics would have more strange art like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I'll say before I pass it over to you guys is that this book just makes me feel so good when I read it. It's so positive. Um, it's like all, all these, first of all, like the, the, the threats that they come up against are, you know, mostly pretty low stakes or, or silly uh, when compared to like the apocalyptic stuff that the Cape books that we normally read come up against, you know? Um, but every problem is kind of handled with positivity or a hopeful outcome. I think it's, it's, it really is about hope rising above darkness. And that can even be like the per like personal darkness, you know, the darkness within there's hope beyond it. And, and this book kind of embodies that with this cast of like weird quote unquote losers, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think it really stays true to that uh, in almost every story it tells. So. Well said. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, you know, I notoriously put Doom Patrol at the top of my list, even <laughs> though only like one issue came out last year. Um, and I have been just, you know, loving Weight of the Worlds, and, and I'm sad that it's going to go away. Although I, I can't remember if it was billed as a mini beforehand. I, I, I really can't remember how they sold it at first. Um, I'm sure we'll get more. It's, you know, easily one of the best books at DC right now. And Gerard Way is a prince and his collaborators are <laughs> royalty as well. And uh, it's uh, it, it's a delightful book. Yeah, I, I concur. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that even with the TV show, like Vince said, they're not going to be doing this book monthly. But it really isn't related to the TV show. But it's probably as related to the TV show as, like, The Flash is to The Flash right now, right? 
Mm-hmm. But yeah. ultimately, it's probably not that different. Um, but that's okay. You know, it, like Zach said, I think this will be back sooner than later. Um, so anyway, I'm going to guess, Zachy Poo, that you and I have the same number one then. Probably did. Yeah, I'm surprised at, you know, how kind of close we all skewed together. But uh, is your number one Deathstroke? It is. You, you just re- you want to talk you, about it? You just caught up on this book today, so why don't you start? Yeah, I did. Oh, it's just the best. Priest is the best. <laughs> Even when he's uh, wilding out online, you know, he's <laughs> just got to look the other way because he's writing <laughs> and has been writing the best book at DC for, you know, the last four years now. Um, and it's getting really close to the end. And, and I think he is going to really stick the landing and have what is the definitive rebirth run. Um, I just, you know, this last arc has just been so wild, you know, giving easily the best use, I think of the year of the villain gimmick. Um, like by a long shot, you know, you have Lex giving Joseph this black hole that amps up his abilities and he hates it and it's turning him into a terrible person. He's manipulating people kind of going full Dr. Manhattan. Um, and then at the same time, you have these two different slaves running around, one who is benevolent-ish and one who is essentially Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Joseph decides to keep the black hole only to keep it away from Darth Slade. Um, and there's just so many dynamics going on. The stuff with Rose is so good. Some heart-wrenching stuff, you know, with... Um, with uh, who uh what is um what is Rose's fake husband's name? I just read oh, it, but it's I'm yeah, I, on I, it. I can't I can't think of his name either. I know who you mean. Yeah, yeah, like that bit with him. Um you know, just priests paying off on threads that have just been years and years in the making and um I really have no idea how he's going to wrap it up, but I'm sure it's going to be good. And and the only thing that I think could upset me is if he doesn't end up bringing back Power Girl. I was by the just going to say that. Was but I think he's already setting up how he's going to do it. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but you, you go on now. You talk about it. This is simply the best superhero book at DC <laughs> or Marvel that isn't a Jonathan Hickman X-Men book right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is, it is just the best. And I never thought I would care about a Deathstroke book ever. <laughs> and this book has made me into a death, uh, a Slade Stan, you know, forever. Um, this is just like, this book should be taught in colleges for people who want to write comics. And, Every issue does something unexpected. Every issue does something really bold. Every issue follows up on something that you kind of forgot about that happened a few issues earlier, and then you're reminded of, and it it smacks you in the face because you can't believe, holy shit, I forgot that that thing was going on, and now Priest has paid it off so well. He's incorporated most of Slade's extended cast which is actually a relatively robust cast of people. 
you know, whether we're talking about, um, you know, his wife Adelaide or his kids or Wintergreen or even, you know, Vince mentioned the Teen Titans. I'm sorry, Zach mentioned the Teen Titans earlier, you know, how closely this book is hewed to the, to the Teen Titans. There is just... There is just so much happening in this book that encompasses Slade's entire history. Yet, because Slade's entire history was more or less written by dipshits, like no one's ever had the chance to do this book before. This isn't like, you know, there's a certain level of impressiveness that we get from G. Willow Wilson incorporating all of the recent iterations of Wonder Woman into her book. But nobody, and I truly mean nobody, has ever had the opportunity to even write a book that's kind of like this for Slade. This is an entirely new chapter for this character, and it's so fucking good, and I'm going to miss this book so fucking much. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Vince, what say you? Yeah, I, I, I cannot deny anything that you guys say, and I, I love Deathstroke. I, I had it at number six, and I think I'm, I'm really not going to say anything negative about it. It's it's probably as good as it's ever been, but I think like I think just for me, when I was pondering this this morning and putting together my list, Deathstroke is kind of like the New England Patriots now. <laughs> We're like... Like right now, problematic guy at the top. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you can't deny its greatness. Yeah, nice, it is. nicely done. Yes, as we speak, the Patriots are dismantling the Jets to the tune of thirty-three to nothing. So we all had to sit through that. We had to sit through that to get to the uh, Star Wars trailer. But um, I just think, like, at this point in time. Deathstroke's as good as it's ever been, but I'm also personally looking more forward on, on any given week to reading a Doom Patrol, the Green Lantern, Dial H, Justice League, just because they're they're giving me new tricks where Deathstroke, the trick is really good, but by now, like you know its rhythms and that's deathstroke's trick i was just gonna say two things number one deathstroke's trick number two i do think that the book is changing a lot though well i don't don't think that the book is i don't think you can say that you know where things are like no plot wise no but like it's rhythms i'm so used to its rhythm at this point you know um you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree, but I, I understand what you're saying. Well, and it's not it's not a knock on Deathstroke or a negative. It's just for the purposes of my list, I kind of rank these uh, as far as like in terms of which ones you want to read first. How excited I am to read! Yeah. Yes, yes, and That's fair. not in alphabetical order. You would notice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's kind of the way I do it, and. Um, and yeah, that's just where Deathstroke ended up as a consequence of all these books do scratching these other itches for me, you know. That that's fair. I I think um 
I maybe structured my list more, and I think it it shows in terms of how impressed I am with the scale and scope of the product, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the creators are doing with it, as opposed to maybe which books I read first. Um, because I mean, heck, I read Tom King's Batman like within the first three issues of every week just because i gotta know what happens you know like oh boy. you know so where, where did that end up on your list again um negative 52 i don't know um, it's 50 sue on my list uh 50 sue, yes yeah so like um but i i get what you're saying i i just think that like I mean, yeah, kind of like Brian alluded, uh, I think Deathstroke is as impressive and good as anything happening in like Hawks Fox and the and the X books and stuff, which is saying a lot for me. Um, I was just thinking today, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and pitch this. I want uh, after Priest wraps up on Deathstroke to go write a new. I want him to write an X Factor book. Mm. That that is the Resurrection Five team. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. That's my pitch. Uh, Hickman, if you're listening, Priest, if you're listening, get on that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I. there was a bit in one of the recent Deathstroke issues where Slade comes back to life and the little black caption box is Medicaid. And <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, I. So, you know, one of the things that we've been all doing, I think, recently has been going back and reading a lot of older comics because of the ease of either getting scans from not so reputable sources or the, the you know, um, the model of something like a DC Universe or a, uh, or a Marvel Unlimited. And I think that one of the things that I have been appreciating about these old comics is just how there are certain runs that you read that just really feel that feel like they were not kowtowing to a a movement at the company that it was not trying to be the next flavor of the month or big thing it was just like a creator had a really specific goal in mind and they were given the time and space to achieve that goal and that doesn't really happen as much in superhero comics anymore because things are canceled so quickly and rebooted so mm-hmm. quickly. And this book was given 50 issues. And you could probably count the two different Teen Titans crossovers as part of this, too. You know, oh, so, for sure. So you're going to look at like a 60-issue mega story that is going to be, I think, I mean, maybe not as impressive because it's my favorite comic of all time, is something like Starman. But like it, occupying a sort of similar role in the DC Universe at the time, which is to like take a corner of the DC Universe and just make it more interesting and important than it has any right to be. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I can't wait to reread it again once it's all done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been legitimately Zach and I were and the three actually the three of us were texting today about this and how we hope that there's some sort of like deluxe hardcovers or omnibuy of this series that comes out. But I've been kind of mm-hmm. thinking of maybe just doing a bind of it myself. Oh man, I would love to do that, but it's just like so cost prohibitive, I think. 
I have a lot of these in singles. I, I, see, I don't. I didn't. I didn't collect any of it in singles, and I wish I had started sooner. But by the time I knew I loved it, um, it would. It just. I didn't want to mess with it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think I looked it up today, and I think it's going to end up being ten trades. So I would love to see like five of the oversized deluxe uh, hardcovers collecting those those trades. You know, put two paperbacks in a hardcover. Mm-hmm have something like the Starman editions. Oh, that would be wonderful Ooh, yeah. to me. Yeah. All right, well, let's take uh, a break. And when we come back, we'll be wrapping up a few weeks too late, but wrapping up uh, House of X and Powers of Ten. So stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together, we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back mere minutes after recording the first part of the episode, I promise, uh, with the discussion of House of X and Powers of Ten. Uh, numbers, is it five and six or just six we're doing? Uh, five-ish and six. Okay, yeah. Um, so let's let's... Do you want to take this like series by series, or do um, fives and then sixes? Fives and then sixes, and and let's only we don't have to talk too much about fives. I the think. only thing in the fives is the thing. Well, let's talk Gold about that balls? thing then. Gold balls. Gold balls is the thing. Yes, <laughs> my man, he made good. He made life. He did make. He did make good. Yeah, my boy, gold balls. He's good again. He's good again. Yeah, so we're kind of like we're so far removed from all this. Who even knows? But uh, where what we're supposed to be talking about? But uh, we know what the pods are from the beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. They're gold balls. They're yes. gold balls. Yep. And I love how I love. There's like four or five X Men that are involved in the creation or the resurrection of these X Men clones. Because it's like gold balls makes the makes the incubators. Proteus uh, creates the conditions for life to to grow or whatever. And then there's a couple more. I don't remember that. There's a couple more mutants that are involved in like actually making the viable mutant. Yeah, yeah. So I've got it open here. Yeah, Proteus like warps reality to make the eggs viable. Then they put the DNA in. Elixir kickstarts them with life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eva Bell, who I think is Tempest, is maybe or something like that. That's I right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. She, which is interesting. She's another Bendis creation, along with Gold Balls. Oh, she yeah. yeah speeds everything up, and then uh, then Hope does something hopeful. You know, she <laughs> does her her spirit dance, and uh, mutant comes out. Yeah, and I th- I think that's a really interesting way to use mutant powers in an unexpected way. Yeah, and I also think what's really interesting about this process 
is that it involves a lot of sort of lower tier X-Men in, in, in an incredibly important part of this story. And I think that the, the, the fear when I get a, a big sprawling series like this is that I love having all of these divergent characters a part of it, but oftentimes when, when, it, when the dust settles, it's still sort of the same three or four people who are at the lead of the series that were there six months and six years and 16 years ago. And this feels like it's actually putting real, very important powers on these newer and more unusual X-Men. And it gives me hope that this line will continue to showcase sort of all the all mutants agenda, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like that they're being uh, used in non-combat roles too. Yes. Agreed. Um, couple, couple big things from this issue. We're um, talking House of X number five right now, by the way. Yeah, we are talking House of X number five. A uh, couple other big things. Um, Proteus burns his body out like every time he does this, and they keep putting him in a clone of Xavier, which is weird and probably important <laughs> later. Um, all the mutants who died and came back in this issue are just naked the whole time. Yeah. yeah, no, no clothes on anybody. We basically um, get a, an extended Austin Powers in a tent scene <laughs> where we're just where certain naughty bits are, are obscured by things like Nightcrawler's tail or a, <laughs> a, a tree branch. You know, just uh, yeah, yeah, baby. <laughs> um, and then one one other thing that I I didn't know this on initial reading, but and it's something I thought was weird when I first read it. Um. So Storm, to kind of prove to everyone that these mutants are themselves, she asked them each a question. And I thought some of the questions were, some of the answers were weird. <laughs> it didn't really make sense. Um, and I don't know about all of them, but I did see um, that Jean's answer, um, you know, she says, how do I know it's you, Jean? And Jean says, oh, I'm the only me there ever was. That is... Um, the first thing that she tells Storm when she comes back, when Jean comes back from dying as the Phoenix the first time. That's awesome. That's, that is, that is yeah. really cool. So, Hickman's good. Hickman is He's good. He's very good, yeah. And then at the end of the issue, that's when everybody, including uh, Apocalypse himself, uh, is welcomed back into Kr Krakoa as part of the mutant family. Um, sure to cause problems down the road. <laughs> yes. I'm sure they will all live happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then over in Powers of Ten, number five, let's just... I, this is the one that I will say that, to me, House of X is very easy to remember what happens in each issue, but the Powers of Ten issues tend to blur together for me. Um, Same, honestly. Uh, yeah. And that, that's not a critique of it. It's just when I'm thinking about sort of what ha what's happening in each issue, it's just it's harder for me to identify what's happening here. But this is the issue where essentially we get uh, the recruitment of Emma Frost into the Krakoa power structure. Yeah, yeah. And we also see Xavier kind of going up again, going in and making a, an appeal to all the other villainous characters. You know, we see Mr. Sinister and Exodus and, uh, 
Namor. Interest- yeah, Namor. Yeah, who, who rejects um, him, of course. Yeah, he's Namor. yeah. <laughs> uh, the Omega characters from uh, Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force run specifically, which mm. I don't know if they've been seen since then. Um, so... Yeah, and then and then more, you know, failing stuff that's just too big brain for any of us. Yeah, and, and that will all come into play when we talk about powers of X and powers of ten number six. Right. Um. But yeah, so should we talk about House of X first or powers of ten first? Let's. Well, uh, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, House of uh, X came out House first. Of, House of X. Okay, we'll talk about House of X then. Um, so House of X, number six, we see, um, you know, the sort of, Xavier puts out, like, the the message of Krakoa to the whole world. He basically uses his powers to get into every brain of every person on Earth and tell them what's going on. And then we see the first calling of the Krakoan Council, uh, with now only one member missing. Do we... Yes. I forget if we now know who that person is. I We're don't... We're supposed to maybe know? Well, who is it? Got... It? Who... Well, well, it got leaked. Oh, okay. But, but well, then... Let's not say then. Well, it got leaked, but I will say... So we first see this list, and and I think Powers of 10 number 5. Yes, and a bunch and of it, it is redacted. Red... It's a bunch of it's redacted, but number nine, which is the one we don't know, says Red Queen in that issue. But then in this issue, that's the only one that's still redacted, and it says Red King. I believe Hickman admitted that Red Queen was a mistake. Uh Uh-huh. He admitted one of them. But I think we know things while we're talking about this that we shouldn't know at the time of reading this. So so we'll just leave it there. Sure. But the council, as we know it, is Professor X, Magneto, and Apocalypse on the autumn table, Uh, Mr. Sinister, Exodus, and Mystique at the winter table, at the spring table, Sebastian Shaw, Emma Emma Frost, and the unknown character, at the summer table, Storm, Jean Grey, and Nightcrawler, at the Krakoa table is Cypher and Krakoa, itself and then there are the great captains which are basically the military leaders the field captains and that's cyclops gorgon bishop and magic right with with cyclops having the rank of captain commander yes um i find it very interesting that logan is not on the council though i think that's very good for his character yeah, I think so too. I think that's mm-hmm. Hickman being very smart about who the character is versus like somebody else who might kowtow to the uh the like fan pressure of, of wanting just sticking him on there yeah. to yeah. yeah, exactly. Um so we also get the first meeting of this council and we find the the three rules of Krakoa. Uh Vince, what are those three rules? Uh, they're fuck and <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, make more mutants, murder no man, and respect the sacred land. What do we think of these three rules? Um, I mean, it's interesting because the the discussion around them by by the by the council was really fascinating to read, and I, I think there was some really great writing in there. 
at the same time, like I feel like you need <laughs> you need more than this to run a <laughs> run a run a well, rogue nation. Yeah, right, right. Well, there's even this whole thing feels like feels a bit like a house of cards, and then we'll find out in the next issue that that's like 100% what it is. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, like, they put together this Council of Twelve, which is, you know, maybe not the best way to run an entire government, and Xavier's like, oh, well, it's fine for now, and we'll think about it later. You know, we'll just see how this goes. Um, and he even references in this issue, I think he says... Um, I'm trying to find it. He he essentially references that the group that is gathered are maybe not the most apt or or adept to be having these ethical discussions, but you know, we are what we have. We are what we are. And we'll just run with it. So it's yeah. very like flippant and um <laughs> I mean, you see it with their first, uh, their their first um, sentencing hearing that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He, here he says, I cannot say that everyone here best represents the ideals of what any society should be based on, but be that as it may, it falls on us to establish the laws of this land. What I feel about the laws of the land is that it they seem very cut and dry, and very hard to argue with. But you know that's what the entirety of this entire run is going to be about, is people disagreeing mm-hmm. with these three laws. Yeah. And so I just hope that – and I, I, this is not me doubting Hickman. I just hope that Hickman is going to be able to tell these stories in interesting ways, which I have no doubt that he will. Um, no doubt. So uh, over in uh, Powers of Ten, number six – it begins with the very first scene that we see of Charles and Moira meeting, and then it moves over to the the year one thousand, and we finally get the sort of uh, the ending of this of this part of the story that I think was maybe guessed by a lot of people, but but now we know is for sure. And Zach, what is that ending? Um. Wait, I don't know if I know what... Oh, of the, oh, sorry, sorry. I was thinking of a different thing. Yeah, sorry. The ending of the year 1000 specifically. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's uh, Moira's sixth life. Yeah. Which seems both very obvious and somewhat unexpected. <laughs> Which, kudos to Hickman for being able to pull that off. Uh, did, did you guys see that coming or no? I Yes, but it hit no less hard when you actually got to it, you know, mm-hmm. cause I think, you know, it's Chekhov's gun. When you show us that, uh, something is missing in this case, an, an entire, uh, one of Moira's lives that we hadn't seen. Um, you're expecting to see it. And when, as the scene unfolds, you realize it's not, not one of the uh not anything you've seen before you know and so you expect it's coming and yet still like it's so satisfying in the end it is really i mean the whole scene is really satisfying um 
you know, the revelation that the two human humanoid people that we saw in the very first powers of 10 are Moira and Logan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting to see the scene from the end of Moira's ninth life replayed here, but with new content, not the exact scene, but the same sequence of events, you know, mm-hmm. um, with Logan being the best there is at what he does and what he does isn't very nice. It's stabbing <laughs> ladies. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and then the rest of the issue, we, we get sort of a, a different, you know, we continue to see the, the scene between Moira and Charles. We get more context for that. We get some of Moira's journal. And then for the first time, we really see, Charles and Eric dealing with Moira in the current, you know, year 10 continuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything of note here you guys want to talk about? Because there's one thing I definitely want to talk about. Is it that Xavier and Magneto are really dumb? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is part of it, but <laughs> specifically, I want to talk about what Moira doesn't want on Krakoa. <gasps> Yes, yes, no telepaths. Mm-hmm. What do you guys make of that? Be- besides the obvious. Or no, not telepaths, no, precogs. Precogs, sorry. precogs. Yeah, yeah precogs. Yeah. Um, what do you make of that? I mean, it... I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, besides the obvious, besides the, the fact that Earlier in the series, she had that run-in with um, Destiny, right? De- what, was it Destiny? Was that her name? Yeah, it was, De- yeah, yeah, it was yeah, Destiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and specifically, she really, really doesn't want Destiny on there. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is bad because uh, that was the deal that was made with Mystique to get her on the council is that they would resurrect Destiny. Right. Mm-hmm. And they basically um, say, like, well, we'll deal with that later. <laughs> right. <laughs> It'll be fine. No big whoop. Uh, we also find out that Moira did not want Charles going to uh, Sinister so early. Uh, he did that mm-hmm. without her approval. So they're really just mucking everything up. <laughs> <laughs> Do we think that Moira is more or less right about everything or no? I don't know. I think she's maybe more right than they are. That's just because of what she knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Vince, what about you? I mean... I uh, I don't know. They 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 she says they always lose, you know? Mm-hmm. Obviously at some point the X-Men are going to lose. You know. They're not, they're not going to succeed at the status quo forever. So I so all you know this this hubris on the part of uh, Charles and and Xavier is obviously going to catch up with them at some point. I think that goes without saying. Yeah. So, 
all in all, I think this sets up the series, not the series, the series of series very interestingly. And it, 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 it gives us both a lot of hope. Like one of the things that we had talked about when we first started talking about this series was once we found out that the year 100 was not this timeline, that it, it gave us a lot of hope for the series because it wasn't such a bleak ending for it. And I feel like I still feel a lot of hope in this book for um, just for sort of the type of stories that it can tell, you know, uh, and I think it will be telling very interesting stories going forward. That said, I, I also think that, like you said before, Vince, there are, there are a number of Chekhov's guns here that are that are clearly laid out as these are going to be the problems that are going to pop up throughout the series. And I think that that's really interesting, too. And so the book the books have this sort of nice sense of of optimism running through them. But there's also to keep pouring on the literary terms. There's also the sort of Damocles hanging over the, everything here. Mm-hmm. And we know essentially, or at least we think essentially, what what the various things are going to be that are going to fuck everything up. Like it's pretty clear what the big challenges they're going to face are. And that's good. That's mm-hmm. fun. Um, anything else to add about House of Extra Powers of Ten? Um, just that I, I think I've like seen some takes that you know that maybe people were a little disappointed with how they wrapped up you know there wasn't any huge climactic revelations outside of the life six thing um in powers of 10 they both kind of ended on just sort of you know they end on this kind of like battle of indoor moment you know And, and we see that play out twice, one in House of X, where it's very happy, and one in Powers of Ten, where it's more more ominous, more foreboding. And I mean, I, get, I, I guess I can maybe see a little bit... I, I, for one, am kind of glad that it didn't end on a cliffhanger, necessarily. It, it had resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's obviously, you know, like, the next issue of X-Men came out that very next week. The story is continuing. Um, but I I was pretty satisfied with how it in how it ended, knowing that it's part of a a bigger overall story. Vince, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly what Zach said. Yeah, I, I think I can get behind that. I uh, I also think the people who are looking for a giant revelation at all times don't really understand how comics work. <laughs> yeah, sure. And yeah. How, like the point of this of both of these series was to lead us into Dawn of X. It wasn't to be like the ultimate X-Men story. It was to get us to the place where that next story could be told. Mm-hmm. I think Hickman himself called it like uh the first of three parts to his overall X-Men narrative. Right. Exactly. So so part part one's over, you guys. Yeah, if anything, you should be upset that part one's over and it only took three months to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And and then and then just to reiterate, I think I've said this on the show before, but he said that part two can go on for as long as Marvel wants it to. So there's that. Which is an amazing answer. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We we should all be very very happy 
that that's the case. Yeah, it's very, very excited to get 15 years of Hickman <laughs> X-Men comics. Uh, so that's going to do it for our show for uh, this week. So um, you can also, that, but you'll hear this on Wednesday. On Friday, you will hear us make our first appearance over on Make Mind Multiversity, where we will be talking about the first three Dawn of X titles, X-Men number one, Marauders number one, and Excalibur number one. Uh, and every month we'll be checking in with Dawn of X titles over there. Uh, what I didn't realize until this week when I was sort of looking at release schedules is, so we're getting each of these first issues one a week for six weeks, but after that we're getting two issues a week of these various series. So yeah. like X-Men yeah. and Marauders will come out in the same week. And Excalibur or whatever it is, you know. I've looked ahead a little bit, and as we get into December, there's going to be three issues a week for a while. Oh, baby. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're going to try to cram stuff in before the end of the year. So uh, it's going to... It's going to get rather meaty. Yeah. So, um, also, I guess we should say, if you're... I don't know how you would not know about it if you, if you subscribe to the podcast, but Zach and I are doing our Watchmen show. Zach and Brian watch The Watchmen. Check that out on Mondays. Uh, you can follow two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And I am at Wilker Fox. If you need Vince, he is going frame by frame through Undercover Grandpa and inserting <laughs> Dr. Manhattan into the movie. That's right. It's a reference that makes no sense to anybody. Uh, but until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. I'm Dr. Manhattan. Welcome to Jackass. <laughs>